I have a guest with me today that uh, he is, uh, well, he's fellow cop and uh, he is also, uh, he's done everything from uh, movies to various charity work. You can see him on uh, cable news constantly. He's an author. Uh, he's an amazing singer and, uh, and, and he is my brother. Randy Sutton, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks, Betsy. It's a pleasure to be here and to say hello to your audience. Randy, what I want to talk about today is, is something that, you know, we talked about at the very beginning, something that, that you came up with um, that has just exploded on not just the law enforcement scene, but just on the scene uh, here nationally, and that is the Wounded Blue. Talk about, I, talk about how the Wounded Blue got started, why you felt the need to bring to the attention uh, what happens to police officers who are wounded in the line of duty. Well, um, just by way of a little bit of background for your viewers, I spent a total of almost 34 years as a police officer, 10 in a small community in Princeton, New Jersey, and then almost 24 with the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, where I retired as a lieutenant. Uh, so I had a total of almost 34 years as a cop, which is a pretty good run. Uh, I did not intend to retire when I did, Betsy, and, and this is part of the this is part of the story of the Wounded Blue. Um, what what uh, made my career end was I suffered a stroke in my police car. Uh, so right on the Las Vegas Boulevard, the famed Las Vegas Strip at 2.30 in the morning. And it was literally the most frightening experience of my life. I, lo I lost the ability to speak and to move. Um, I was speaking gibberish. Uh, that particular night, I was the watch commander. And when I was watch commander, I would take a young police officer with me on patrol so I could get to know my people and they could get to see that their lieutenant actually knew how to do a little bit of police work now and then. So I had this young man with me. It was the first time he's ever ridden with me. And we're driving down the strip and I 2.30 morning, I literally felt my brain slowing down. And I'm having this conversation just like I'm having with you. And then I started speaking slower and I recognized immediately that I was, that I was having a stroke. So I stopped the car and I said to this poor, this poor kid, I said, get me medical, I'm having a stroke. And uh, he looked at me like, is the lieutenant screwing with me? You know, like, is this, is this a test? And um, you realize that, that, that this, wasn't, this wasn't a joke. I got out of the car to go around the pastor side in case he needed to get me to the hospital. And I started speaking gibberish. Then I lost the ability of, to speak at all, crumpled to the pavement. And, um, and that was the last night that I ever was truly a cop. Um, it ended my career. Three weeks before that, my mother had died in my arms. Uh, two months before that, I'd been involved in a fatal shooting. So there was a lot of stuff going on, but they determined that I had a serious heart condition that I was unaware of, and that's what caused the stroke. Now, I tell you that because what happened next was something that I never expected, and that is my own department turned its back on me. They just refused to pay my medical bills, and they had to. They knew they were legally obligated to, they just didn't do it. They forced me to go to court and fight them. Meanwhile, they ruined my credit. Um, hospitals knocking on my door, looking for their money. They didn't care who it was coming from. And to, to be abandoned by my own department was shocking to me. Um, I went in to go see the sheriff, a guy who I'd served with for 24 years. And I, I, so I looked him right in the face and I said, 
Sheriff, how do you treat me like this? I, I almost gave my life for this department, literally on several occasions. And he looked me straight in the eye and he said, Randy, this isn't personal, it's just business. And so I, I, I was, it was shocking to me that, that, they, that they could treat me like this. Well, I eventually won. They had to pay my medical bills and I was, became permanently disabled as a result. But um, that was my first taste of understanding how police officers are treated. Well, you know, you and I have known each other for many, many years. You know that I've been very visible in the law enforcement community from being on cops a whole bunch of times and then being in the movies, writing four books, uh, being a trainer for, for, so I was very visible in the law enforcement community. And when I retired, suddenly I find myself receiving messages from cops who don't even know me, just know who I am with these heartbreaking stories. Randy, I was shot in the line of duty. My, my chief never came to visit me in the hospital or not paying my medical bills. And not one, not two, Betsy, but, but hundreds. And I realized that there was, that there, this was a national issue. And I thought there had to be resources for these men and women, because every single one of these heartbreaking communications ended with the same thing. I feel abandoned. I feel alone. I feel forgotten. And I looked for a national resource and there wasn't one. And so as a result, the Wounded Blue was born and we actually launched officially, went operational a little over a year and a half ago during police week of May of 2019. And since that time, we have uh, done um, almost 8,000, in fact, I think we're over that now, uh, individual peer supports with my team of men and women, all who have worn the badge or are still wearing the badge, all who have been shot or stabbed or beaten or run down or suffered severe post-traumatic stress. And all these men and women continue to serve their brothers and sisters by supplying peer counseling to these men and women. You know, and Randy, that's one of the things, and we've talked about this many times, the law enforcement profession does a fantastic job of honoring and burying our dead, those who die in the line of duty. Yeah. But we're not always good at two other things, and one is supporting their family members, and number two is supporting the wounded who give their, who also sacrifice, yeah. can't come back and do the job. And that's, I don't think people realize that. They think, well, if a police officer is wounded in the line of duty, cer certainly they must get, you know, free insurance and they must get a really nice pension and they must get yeah. all these things and all this assistance. And that's just not true, is it? No, well, it depends on where you are. Um, if you are in a, if you're in New York City, they have a strong union, they have strong uh, workers' comp laws. So they are going to, you're going to be okay there. At least, you know, you're gonna be taken care of financially. You'll get a certain percentage of your, of your um, uh, pay if you can't work any longer. Uh, there are other, other states that are pretty good, but there's a whole ton of states that aren't. I mean, even, uh, you know, and, and, but this is actually one of the, one of the things that I fight all the time and my organization fights all the time because everybody believes that if you get shot or stabbed or you can't work anymore, then of course your city is going to take care of you, right? You're going to get the best doctors. You're going to, you're going to be able to feed your family. And it's almost, it's almost impossible for people to believe. I can't tell you the conversations I've had 
where I try to convince people that this is the reality. And they look at me, they go, oh, come on. And this has actually been a factor in our, in our ability or inability to raise money because many people actually don't believe it's possible. I mean, we actually, we have a great documentary film that I urge everybody to look at. It's on amazon.com. It's called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. It will shock you. I guarantee you, bring your tissues, but yeah. it will show you the, the truth about, about how officers are treated when they're physically injured or, and you know as this as well as I do, psychologically injured, uh, post-traumatic stress is as real as a bullet. And, and many, many, many departments um, still refuse to recognize that that's even an injury. It's, it's really shocking. Well, and that's the thing, and that's one of the things that we're finding out is, is it's not just the physical injuries, but the me you know, mental health in law enforcement is a huge issue now. Yeah. And we're seeing more and more police officers, especially after this, you know, this last year that we've been through in the, the summer and the fall of, of riots and violence and, you know, police officers, you know, being injured in, in the name of Antifa or Black right. Lives Matter, um, police officers in a federal courthouse as demonstrators set fire to it, um, police officers who are, are permanently disabled, um, not only with post-traumatic stress, but with lasers in their eyes, you know, so, so yeah. often it's a physical disability combined with that post-traumatic stress disability. Right. What kind of difficulties are police officers seeing in proving, if you will, to their agency that they just can't work anymore because of the post-traumatic stress from what they've seen during that police career? Yeah, um, great. That's a great question and, a, and a, huge, a huge issue in law enforcement around the country. And once again, it depends on which state you're in. Um, like, for instance, Minneapolis, where much of this, this, this insanity began after the George Floyd uh, incident, um, there's, those officers were so abused by their city government and by, their, by their, the people that they serve, so abused that they have lost um, upwards of 20% of their cops. And many of these men and women are actually going out on a psychological disability because Minnesota happens to have a very strong law that, that actually covers that. You go, you go a couple states away and they don't even recognize post-traumatic stress injury as a real injury. So, so there's no national uh, coverage. There's no national blanket of of uh, uh, even recognition. In fact, if this is going to shock some of your viewers and probably others will see themselves in this, but there's a lot of departments that you can go in and ask your chief for help. Uh, remember, you know, out of the 18,000 different police agencies in this country, 80% of them have less than 20 cops. So, you know, you can go to your see your chief and say, chief, you know, I'm having issues with that incident I was involved in or or that, you know, the cumulative stress. And that chief can say, really? Oh, Randy, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, you're fired. Yeah. And it's happening. It's happening uh, in various places around the country. And, and very often, 
these disabled officers, this is all they've ever done. This is all they know how to do. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So we fight. That's one of the things we as an organization do is we fight for these men and women. We, we, we called our SEAL approach, support, education, assistance, and legislation. But I got to tell you, we're fighting a really uphill battle. Um, besides the dysfunctionality in Washington that exists, uh, there was a bunch of bills that, that, that were pro-police, and you know what happened to them. Uh, you know, there's nobody being more abused by the system than, than law enforcement officers. Um, I just had something shocking happen two days ago. Betsy, I'm, I'm still, my head is still swimming. Um, we had gone to the, the, the American Bar Association and said, you know what, we would like to do a partnership with you guys, two attorneys around the country, because our cops who are getting injured and disabled in line of duty don't know what their rights are. So we'd like to work with you. We're not asking for anything as, other than that we want a resource list of, of lawyers around the country that will see cops and help them. So we, we negotiated and negotiated and they, we came up with an agreement, put the agreement, we signed everything. And yesterday, now two, excuse me, two days ago, they called me back and they were hemming and hawing and well, uh, we received so much pushback from attorneys about, about the police that we can't do this. So the, so the American Bar Association, those lawyers are now turning their backs on injured and disabled officers around the country. It makes me sick. All in the name of politics, all in the yeah. name of woke politics. Oh, well, well, we can't help the police. You mean all those men and women who are literally sacrificing their lives and their, and their safety every single day? You, you attorneys who took an oath to, uh, uh, to defend, uh, it just, it's, it makes me sick. Betsy, what, what these men and women are going through today, the challenges that they're facing, not just internally, but externally, um, it's really, it's really disheartening. Uh, you know, that's, I know that you and your organization, um, you know, work to, to make their lives better. And, and for that, you know, you and, 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 and Dave have saved so many lives uh, with your training. And that's exactly what we need to continue. We can't let we can't be defeated by politicians and lawyers and, and the media. We have to fight back. Well, and that's why, you know, this audience is so important because, you know, we're, we're always asking people to, to, to see how can you best support your law enforcement, you know, your local law enforcement, and then how can you support law enforcement nationwide? And that's what we want people to know. I think a lot of pro-law enforcement people think, well, these officers are, you know, they're taken care of by their communities and they're taken care of by their agencies. And, right. and, and you know, now, as you're explaining, that's not necessarily true in all jurisdictions. So one of the things the Wounded Blue does is you, and you do this on a very grassroots and, and very often an individual basis, um, you work hard to bring some joy into some of these disabled and wounded officers lives and one of the many ways you do it is you use my favorite you use the puppies talk <laughs> about talk about your service dog program well we uh we had a um a, a veterinarian here in las vegas where i'm still based out of um we had a conversation with this guy he's he's besides being a veterinarian he's also a a, a sworn 
reserve officer um, in another jurisdiction and, and loves the police. And during a conversation, he said, you know, he says, we, I, I get French bulldogs, which by the way, French bulldogs are $5,000 dogs. He says, and they are intuitively compassionate animals. He says, we, we work with breeders and they only breed them a couple times. And then, and then we want to find homes for them. And, and the light bulb went off and I said, wait a minute, those, they can be canine companions, right? They can, they can bring joy uh, and love to a, a, an injured or disabled officer and their family. So that's, that's, that's one of the things that we do. We call it the canine companion program. And we've given uh, a number of these dogs to injured and disabled officers. And I got to tell you, I, I mean, I've had one guy contact me. He said, you saved my life with this dog. He said, I, I was so alone. I was so lonely. And this little animal brings me joy. It brings me love. And, uh, and you know, seeing the faces of these officers when they, when they get these dogs, it's amazing. And we provide the transportation. We, we make it happen, you know. Um, but I also want to say that, that it's really critical that the, the men and women who work on, we call it our peer advocate support team, uh, these men and women are some of the most dedicated people I've ever seen. Um, many of them cannot serve any longer as a law enforcement because of the devastating injuries that they received. And yet they still want to serve and they still do serve. They're serving their brothers and sisters. They're, I, I have officers who literally will spend 40 to 60 hours a week talking and providing peer support for cops around the country. It's really amazing. It really is. And, and we are a resource for every single officer in the country. You know, one of the things that we, we know from being, you know, in, in, in the game for so long is that there is often a distrust between the line officers and their administrations. And even departments that try to do it right, there's still a distrust when it comes down to asking for help. So we are a resource for everybody, every police agency and every police officer. That's the uniqueness of who we are and what we do. And our allegiance is to no administrations. Our only allegiance is to the men and women that contact us or we contact, because we reach out a lot and say, you know what? You're not alone in this fight. You got somebody watching your six. That's fantastic. And, and, and that's, you guys do so much and you do it so professionally when you talk about peer support the police officers involved as as peer support counselors they they go through uh training and all kinds of you know talk about that training program a little yeah bit. it's pretty extraordinary it is it really truly is so when i was first developing the idea of the wounded blue um i looked at at, at peer support because Virtually every single officer says the same thing. I feel abandoned and alone. If you could see this real close, you would say, you would see that it says never forgotten, never alone, because that is what we believe in. And, and so that peer support is so vitally important, especially because these men and women who have been injured or are psychologically scarred um, feel, feel like they can't, they can't talk about it with anybody. So that's a really critical part, but who, who is it in, in our police world that really developed, the, I think, the best peer support system 
for for uh, law enforcement, and that's the concerns of police survivors, who, yes. when when an officer dies in the line of duty, they're there for the rest of their the family's lives. So I reached out to the um, I reached out to the executive director uh, there, Diane Bernhardt, when I was first coming up with the idea of the wounded blue, and I I, I knew her from participating in Police Week, and when I told her what I was planning, she said, "We have been we have been looking." Yeah. to partner with an organization like that, like you. Randy, if people want to support the Wounded Blue or get more information, or if a police officer or police officer's family needs to reach out, where can people find you? We're really, really easy to contact. First of all, thewoundedblue.org. That's thewoundedblue.org. And there's a contact sheet and they can learn all about us. Please look at our amazon.com documentary. You'll know, you'll know all about us there. But also Facebook. We have a great Facebook page. People are really engaged on it. Thewoundedblue.org. The Wounded Blue. And um, if they want to contact me personally, I'm Randy at thewoundedblue.org. And uh, if they want to support, they can donate there. Um, they can send a check to the Wounded Blue. We desperately, desperately need funds. And uh, um, so also if they want to volunteer, uh, we're going to be opening chapters around the country. So there's a bunch of different ways that people can help and uh, just go to thewoundedblue.org or contact me, Randy at thewoundedblue.org. Yeah, law enforcement needs you more than ever, Randy, and, and we really appreciate you spending time with us. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. This year, over 50,000 law enforcement officers have been assaulted while on duty. A vast number of these attacks were filmed and uploaded to social media in the pursuit of likes and attention. What they want to do is film you instead of like, what can I do to help this officer? Together, we can change this disturbing trend. If that individual would have hit the right spot, you know, it, it could have been it for me. You know, last time I would have saw my wife, my kids. I'm Mike Solon. Law enforcement officers need your support. If you see an officer under attack, then follow these simple steps in order to help. 1. Call 911 and give the officer's exact location. 2. Ask the officer if you can assist. If the officer accepts, then do whatever you can do to safely help. 3. If the officer declines, then start filming and be a good witness. It's time to stop filming and start helping.